0: Hello everybody, this is our sixth sermon looking at the spirit in action in the book of Acts. Today we've reached to Acts chapter 15 verses 1 to 35 and we're looking at how to handle disagreements in church. Disagreements in church, we have all experienced them. If you have never encountered one, then this must be your very first visit. There is no such thing as a perfect church. If you have come looking for that here, then I'm sorry to disappoint you. This church is made up of real people with real opinions who will make real mistakes in both how they form them and how they try to communicate them. All the people in this church are currently being worked on by God and will only be complete in glory, myself very much included. Churches disagree about all sorts of things. Sometimes they're very small. The color of the paint, the volume of the services, the brand of coffee used in after service refreshments. At other times, the source of contention is much larger. Which translation of the Bible should be used? Should the church encourage particular voting in a national referendum? What about ethical questions of the day? Some disagreements can be laughed off, but others cause us great pain. I know there are people here today who have made the decision to leave churches in the past, and that has come with much grief and sadness. We are currently living through a time when we all feel under pressure, We are anxious and fearful, and our emotions are less under control. As this crisis tarries on, we know we are more prone to react with fire in our temper. It is a time then for us to be careful, for even the smallest disagreements can end up causing damage to our relationships, if not handled well. Yet at the same time, there is an opportunity for us as the church. Our world, nation and island are completely divided. Be it on Brexit, Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, Scottish independence or what restrictions of lockdown should be eased, people are arguing with each other everywhere. As the church then, we have the chance to model a unity across the divides. To demonstrate a love that can hold even when we ourselves would vote for different parties and campaign for different views. The peace that should be found amongst the family of God's people is immensely attractive to our world today. And when discovered, it gives us the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Today, then, we're going to think about how we are to handle disagreements in the church. We want to protect ourselves in these tense and difficult days and we want to model something that forms a witness to the reconciling cross of Christ in our local community. Before we look to draw a few practical suggestions, we need to understand the importance of our passage today. It's not an exaggeration to say that without the events of Acts 15 you and I may very well not be here today with a knowledge of Jesus and a desire to worship him. We have joked that churches can disagree over the smallest of things but the issue being debated here was huge. It all boiled down to one question. To be acceptable to God do followers of Jesus also need to become Jews? Do they need to become circumcised and follow all the minutiae of the Jewish law to be saved from their sins? The answer to this question had enormous consequences for the church at the time. The gospel was starting to reach out into the Gentile world. Was this work to continue? Were Jewish and Gentile Christians to fellowship together or form separate churches? What if Gentiles started to be put off the gospel because of these extra requirements? If the decision made in Acts 15 was not made as it was, it is possible that the spread of the church could have ground to a halt and never reached these shores. Even if it had, our faith would look very different. We would currently be sat in a synagogue and the men would have certain parts of their anatomy missing. I'm not going to spend a long time on the doctrine. Earlier this year, we spent 11 weeks on Galatians, which is completely focused on this issue. And all those sermons are on the website if you would like to listen to them. Suffice it to say, Peter and Paul, James and Barnabas all successfully managed to argue that because Jesus had fulfilled all the law and covenants of Israel, those promises were now thrown open to all believers without distinction. In Jesus, Jew and Gentile come together. His cross and spirit unites them. Faith in Christ is all that is required for salvation. Nothing else needs to be added. This is the amazing grace of God that we can all be thankful for and that has enabled his beloved family of people to spread right around the world in anticipation of the day when Jesus returns. What I want to focus on now is what we see in this passage to help us deal with our disagreements today. The hints and advice which will enable us to overcome some of our difficulties and enable the gospel to continue to spread from among us. The first thing we learn from this passage is that when disagreements arise we must attend to them promptly Truly, the very worst thing we can do is try to deny they exist or try and push them under the carpet, for that just causes things to escalate and results in more destruction. The passage begins with some Jewish nationalists travelling to Antioch and disrupting the church. It's important that we remember that they were believers in Jesus. But these were the ones who thought that all people had to become Jews and were insisting the newly converted Gentiles do precisely that. We see in verse 2 that immediately their arrival causes a sharp dispute to begin. Paul and Barnabas know that this is something they just cannot ignore. They must deal with it straight away before lasting damage is done. So right away, the church in Antioch, send them off to Jerusalem with a few other believers to tackle this question. What we see here then is an openness and an honesty about what divides the church, and yet also an urgency in coming to terms with it. Notice as well in verse 6, we read that on arrival in Jerusalem, a special council is called to deal with the issue in detail. There is real effort put in on both sides. It's also appropriate that a debate takes place within the church itself. For it is nothing worse than Christians attacking each other in public. Gossip, moaning and accusation is a very bad witness to non-believers. It turns them away from the faith. As a church here on Isla, we will try and do the same when disagreements arise we will openly discuss them within a church meeting and try to reach a conclusion. We will not hide them or let them fester, but let light be shone upon them. And we will all take the responsibility not to talk badly about our brothers and sisters in public, even when we do disagree with them. In the year and a half that I have been on Isla, we have already had to tackle some issues of disagreement. Issues like, who can use our buildings? what can be done on a Sabbath, and how to best renovate our buildings. On some of those things we still disagree, and maybe always will, but I was pleased with how we dealt with them. In church meetings and Bible studies, we promptly and openly discussed them and formed a consensus. We will try and do the same with all the issues that will inevitably arise in the future. Even as individuals, we will try and follow Jesus' instructions and go to our brothers and sisters and try to sort disagreements out as quickly as possible. The second thing we learn from this passage is that when disagreements arise, personal experiences matter. As brothers and sisters speak openly and share their testimonies with honesty and humility, on many occasions we begin to get a sense of where and how God is at work. Besides that, we all recognise how important it is to know that people are really listening to us. Even if we end up disagreeing, unity is easier to find when we feel that we have been respected. In this passage, we see Peter and Barnabas share their personal experiences but notice that they only do this, verse 7, once they have listened to their brothers with the opposing viewpoint explain their reasoning first. That again shows humility and respect and makes their upcoming words more credible. Peter and Barnabas's words recall to the Jerusalem council many of the events that we have previously read of in Acts. Peter begins in verses 7 to 11, reminding them of his encounter with Cornelius, the Roman centurion, in Acts 10 and 11. Do you remember how God gave Peter a dream of a sheep descending with many unclean animals on it? He told Peter to eat because all things previously impure had now been made clean. As soon as the dream ended, Peter was called away to minister to Cornelius, the leader of the enemy's army. While Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius showing that all had come to faith and God had welcomed him, gentle as he was, into his family. For Peter, this act of the Spirit was evidence of God doing a new thing and his purposes advancing. As he relates this story, Peter says something interesting. As an observant Jew, Even he had failed to bear the weight of the law, just as his ancestors had before him. So how could they burden the Gentiles with it also? Peter had also badly let Jesus down, denying him three times on the eve of his death. He knew better than anyone that all people rely on God's grace. His favour can never be earned. He says in verse 11, No, We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. That too is an argument from personal experience. Next up is Barnabas. In verse 12, he also recounts all the wonders that he and Paul have seen God do on their recent mission trip amongst the Gentiles. For Barnabas, what he had witnessed with his own eyes was proof that God was at work bringing the Gentiles to himself without them needing to become Jews first. His and Paul's experience also contradicted the views of the nationalists. In a disagreement, listening to the personal experience of others is really important. It shows we respect them and keeps the path open for unity. But most importantly, it often helps us to see what God is currently up to. In my first church, I faced the very difficult issue of homosexuality. Even though my beliefs did not necessarily change, the way I conducted myself did. Once I had sat and properly listened to the young Christian woman sobbing on the opposite side of my desk, recounting her struggles with same-sex attraction. Whatever the issue, whether the people we disagree with be black or white, male or female, young or old, gay or straight, Baptist or Church of Scotland, we must always listen To the personal experiences of those we are engaging with they are our brothers and sisters and should be treated as such maybe god wants to teach us something new through them the third thing that this passage teaches us is that scripture is normative god is always free to do new things his spirit is very much alive and active but they will always be in keeping with how his character is revealed in scripture. God will not lead us into things that contradict the teaching of the Bible. After Peter and Barnabas have shared their personal experiences, in verse 13, James enters the discussion. He was the brother of Jesus and leader of the church in Jerusalem at the time. James has clearly listened very carefully to all the discussion, has been reflecting on all he knew of scripture. That was his number one guide as he sought to help navigate through these difficult waters. As the discussion has gone on, James has come to a very important realisation. What Peter and Barnabas have described from their personal experience is exactly what God promised he would do through the prophets. James realises that it was always God's intention to bring the nations into his family. The inclusion of the Gentiles is indeed the fulfilment of his purposes and he quotes the prophet Amos in verses 16 to 18 to prove it. Now, with the experience of the Spirit's work backed up by the scriptural evidence, James has all the information he needs, and he urges the church to welcome the Gentiles on their own terms. We must do the same today. After taking the time to listen to people's experiences, we must then sensitively and diligently hold them up to Scripture. Sometimes we will see that they go against Scripture, And we will have to say to our conversation partners that we appreciate that is what they feel, but we cannot agree that it is right. Other times we'll be able to fully affirm them and rejoice that God has taught us all something important. We will, though, have to be honest. Sometimes it's difficult to know how scripture directly relates to an ethical issue today. Things like genetic modification, IVF treatment and robotics were not even thought of 2,000 years ago. In these cases, we must try and draw on the principles that the Bible teaches us. It is good for us to bear in mind that things that do not directly contradict Scripture may be legitimate, but that does not mean they must be insisted on for everyone if the Bible is not specific on the matter. We must remain wise and prayerful and listen to God through one another as we try to interpret the scriptures for today. But we get the message. When disagreements arise in church, scripture is always the place we will turn to. We will open our Bibles together with the desire to hear God speak and the humility to accept that we may be wrong or have more to learn. The final thing we learn about handling disagreement in this chapter is that as Christians we must bend over backwards to maintain peace with one another. All the characters in the debate make considerable efforts to deal with the situation as well as they possibly can. In Galatians 2 we read that Peter and Paul had a public disagreement just before this council took place. Yet here Peter turns up and speaks on Paul's side because he knows it is the right thing to do. He forgets his personal humiliation and seeks unity on what is important. Interestingly, Paul himself decides to take a back seat and allow Barnabas to do all the talking. Throughout Acts, we read of Paul and Barnabas, but here in verse 12, it is Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas comes first. It is possible that knowing full well how hot under the collar he could get, Paul makes the wise decision to let Barnabas, the encourager, represent him. I think that's what's going on here, and it was an excellent move. James is perhaps even more impressive. He remained a law-abiding Jew all his life. So perhaps here he is arguing against his instinctive preferences, but he makes the case for Gentile inclusion without circumcision because it has been revealed to him that it was the right thing to do. All three of these, Peter, Paul and James, worked hard to get through this issue. But we see the desire for peace clearest of all in the letter that was written to report the council's decision. The letter is adamant that Gentiles should be included in the church without any extra requirements from the Jewish law. However, the council wants to do everything it can to keep Jews and Gentiles in fellowship with one another. In this case, quite literally, they want to keep them meeting and eating around the same table. The letter makes clear that Gentiles are not required to follow any unnecessary commands but they're not to cause any unnecessary offence either. They are to be sensitive to the scruples of their Jewish Christian brothers and sisters and so not eat food that offends them in their presence. Neither are they to allow themselves to be drawn into sexual immorality that would make the Jewish believers question the legitimacy of their faith and their right to a place at the table. Can you see what the letter is trying to do? It strongly condemns those who try to cause disruption in the church and is giving the Gentiles their freedom, but it is also trying to do everything it can to foster peace. Peace. The gospel of Christ is about Jesus dying for all people to reconcile them with God and each other. The witness of the church must demonstrate this in action as well as in words. It's what we said at the beginning. Unity in the family of God is evangelistic in our deeply divided world. We must strive to stay in fellowship with all that we have and only separate on those very rare occasions when salvation is put in doubt. So there we finish an important passage. We have read the story of an event 2000 years ago that paved the way for the gospel to spread right across the world. We should be grateful for the details of this chapter. Yet at the same time, we've learned some very practical advice on how to handle disagreements in the church today. We are to attend to disputes promptly. We are to listen to personal experiences. We are to relate everything to scripture. And we are to bend over backwards for peace. Let us strive for unity and understanding in all things. The church really can bring hope into the world. When we get this right, the gospel continues to spread. May that be true for us on Isla in all that we face in the months and years ahead.